welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am a Dr. Heather Hirsch. It's so great to have you guys tuning in today. And this episode is going to be all about surgical menopause. And I want to talk about what exactly that means, why you might undergo surgical menopause, the implications for surgical menopause, i.e. then being thrust into menopause that day and some other things that you need to be aware of, including bone health, vaginal health, weight gain, brain fog, and sexual function after surgical menopause. So if you're interested in learning a little bit about that, definitely stick around. Now, if you are already postmenopausal or perimenopausal and don't see surgical menopause in your future, this is still a really important episode to compare and contrast to natural menopause. And because I know so many of you are so proactive about your health and menopause warriors that inevitably you're going to have somebody in your life, be it a friend, a neighbor, a cousin who is under going surgical menopause, and you're going to be able to provide her with some really important information. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Okay, so what actually is surgical menopause? Well, it's actually quite simple, although it can seem confusing. If you have both of your ovaries removed and nothing else, that is surgical menopause. You could also have one ovary removed and then a year or two later have the other ovary removed. And when the other ovary comes out and you are left without either of your ovaries, that is surgical menopause. So to make it really easy, it's when both of your ovaries are removed. Again, just to clarify, you can have one ovary in and that is not surgical menopause because that ovary can, and I say that with a little asterisk, that ovary can still work perfectly fine and you won't be put into menopause if you have one ovary. Just like you can live with one kidney, you can totally live with one ovary. Now, what if you have your uterus removed? It makes no difference in terms of surgical menopause. So let's go over a couple of different examples. You could have just your uterus removed and both of your ovaries stay in. That's not surgical menopause. You could have your, your uterus removed and one ovary removed, and that is not surgical menopause because you've got that other ovary still in. You could have your uterus removed in both of your ovaries, and that is surgical menopause. Just to drive this point home, again, it's when both of your ovaries are removed, irrespective of what happens to the rest of your pelvic organs, mostly your uterus and your fallopian tubes and your cervix. Now, what are the indications for having surgical menopause or for having both of your ovaries removed? Well, there's several, but the one that I end up seeing most commonly is for risk reduction. So what is risk reduction? Well, if you have undergone risk reduction surgery and you're listening to this, you definitely know. But for those of you that don't, a risk reduction a surgery where you remove both of your ovaries is typically indicated for women who have a genetic predisposition to usually ovarian and or breast cancer. So female cancers in general. 
A perfect example of this is a BRCA mutation. And many people have heard of BRCA mutations. It was very much in the news when Angelina Jolie found out she had a BRCA mutation. And so she underwent risk reduction surgery. That means Angelina Jolie was put into surgical menopause when her ovaries were removed again to decrease her risk for ovarian cancer. So BRCA1, BRCA2, very common reasons. There are now other known genetic mutations where women find these, usually if they're undergoing breast cancer screening counseling or ovarian cancer screening and counseling, these genetic mutations are found. And then it is suggested to them that they consider risk reduction surgery, usually at age 40 or after they are done with childbearing, if they choose to have children. Another indication to have ovarian removal is if you have ovarian cancer, typically they will take out both of your ovaries, even if just one is afflicted with cancer. Another big reason women will have ovaries removed is if they've had cysts on their ovaries and they have, you know, the the decision has been made with themselves and their gynecologist to remove it for that cyst, whether there's a concern that the cysts are going to increase their risk for cancer or they're otherwise problematic. It could be that they've had an ovarian torsion where the ovary actually twists on itself. And that is an emergency. And that is usually something that happens uh, more on an urgent surgical basis. An ovary could potentially also be removed if someone has a tubal pregnancy. And this is when they can't save the ovary or they can't save the tube. And this is, again, depends on what's happening intraoperatively. So during that surgery. And finally, another reason that women will have their ovaries removed is something in a bucket that I just called just because (laughs) that doesn't sound very scientific, but in, you know, several decades ago, when women were having a hysterectomy, which is the most commonly performed surgery, a gynecologic surgery on women, they just took the ovaries right out with the uterus. And the thought at the time was, well, you're not using your ovaries anymore. We don't want you to have ovarian cancer, of course. And there's no good screening test for ovarian cancer. So we're here to take out your uterus. Let's just take out your ovaries as well. Well, that didn't go so well decades down the line because as women were realizing, hey, you put me into menopause and that sucked because hmm, all my hormones and all my good stuff were in those ovaries that you took out. So I don't appreciate you taking them out. And we also realized that there was risks of early menopause and early surgical menopause. And I'm going to define those in just a second, but it is still common that I will see women who have had their uterus removed and they tell me they just had their ovaries removed at the same time, just because that was recommended. Or they just say, just kind of because they said, I didn't really need them anymore. Now, again, a lot of women are becoming much more uh, curious and definitely asking many more questions about their bodies before they're having surgeries. And that's great to see. And so now at times, lots of women are strategically thinking through, should they have, you know, both their ovaries removed at what age should they take out the uterus also, or the flip side, if they're taking out their uterus, because they're having, um, fibroids and heavy periods or chronic pelvic pain, should they take out their ovaries? And so women are making more conscious decisions as 
compared to probably in the 90s, it was more just like, yep, we should take them out. Okay. And boom, you are put into surgical menopause. Now let's go back to that definition. I said, I was going to come back to early menopause is menopause before age 45 and premature menopause is menopause before age 40. And there are definitely medical reasons why you could have premature or early menopause. And there's also unknown etiologies why you could have those, but a big reason of course is surgery because we know exactly when you went into menopause the day that both of your ovaries came out and it was you know early if you're between the ages of 40 and 45 and premature if you were under age 40 and you kind of have two whammies at that point because early menopause and premature menopause carry a set of risks with them Now, these risks are not to be uh, thought of without balancing the risks of keeping your ovaries, for example, in the instance where it's best to remove your ovaries to reduce your risk for cancer. So you have to compare them side by side and decide what's best for you. And there are lots of different options and ways that you can play this out. However, the first whammy is having an early or premature menopause. And the second is having a surgical menopause, because as we're going to get into surgical menopause for many reasons can be harsher and harsher isn't the exact word I want to use, but it just means more intense or quicker acting than natural menopause. In natural menopause, your body has this time to sort of slowly adjust over time to the lowering of your estrogen and your testosterone levels. And that's the delightfulness of perimenopause. So for any of you who are suffering or going through perimenopause, there are some benefits here and that your body is in some ways adjusting. And those symptoms that you're feeling are your body adjusting to the declining levels of estrogen and testosterone. But in surgical menopause, for many women who are ovulating up until the point of surgery, meaning they're either premenopausal or they're early perimenopausal, when you take those ovaries out, boom, your body has really had no time to adjust to that drop in hormone level, which by hormone level, I mean specifically estrogen and testosterone. And so the effects of that change can be really harsh on the female who's undergoing surgical menopause. So to summarize those implications of surgical menopause is one, it is harsher or can be more dramatic, meaning symptoms can be more abrupt. They can be more intense. They may last longer. And secondarily, you're undergoing menopause early. Now, again, the majority of women who have surgical menopause, but not all, but the majority of women undergoing surgical menopause are in fact earlier because a lot of them are risk reducing and they're taking into account very astutely that they need to decrease their risk for ovarian or breast cancer, which certainly has very strong implications on morbidity and mortality. But then on the flip side, once those ovaries are out, we need to think about what does it mean that you've already put yourself into menopause at say age 38 or 42. And for some women, I have them, uh, have had them in menopause even earlier in their twenties or thirties because they had to have their ovaries removed for some other medical indication other than risk reduction, which we talked about in the beginning. 
So the question now is, what should you do once you've had surgical menopause? Should you consider hormone therapy? Should you consider non-hormonal options? What are your options after surgical menopause? So to go through this, let's break this down first by the women who are not risk reducing. They have just had their ovaries out in the just because category or for some other reason that had nothing to do with cancer. Now I would certainly recommend, do you consider strongly hormone therapy if you had that surgical menopause before the age of 45? And here's why, and this is going to carry over when we're talking about those women who've had surgery for risk reduction. So we know that for women who have menopause before age 45, they carry an increased risk for cardiovascular disease due to the loss of estrogen. So estrogen is actually cardioprotective. Estrogen is a vasodilator. It opens the blood vessels. That helps to get more blood flow around your heart, feeding it and giving it all the wonderful oxygen that it needs to beat and to do all the things that it needs to do. So this is a really big reason why we do want to start women who have had menopause before age 45 on an estrogen replacement because of the increased risk of heart disease later on. We also know that women who have menopause before age 45 have an increased risk of bone loss, and that bone loss is going to increase their risk for osteopenia or osteoporosis. Now, having an osteoporotic fracture is significantly high. In fact, more women suffer osteoporotic fractures than they do from heart disease, breast cancers, and strokes combined. And that risk really increases again by having early menopause. The other thing that can happen without estrogen or when you lose it early before age 45 is you can also increase your risk for vulvovaginal atrophy, which we now call genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which can also lead to sexual dysfunction because of pain with intercourse or dryness or frequent urinary tract infections, which put you at increased risk for growing resistance to antibiotics and the side effects from taking lots of courses of antibiotics. So early surgical menopause is no joke. And definitely you should be consulted before you have that surgery on the flip side of now that you are in menopause, what do you think that you would like to do? So the recommendation from the North American Menopause Society, which is NAMS and the American College of OBGYN is to use a hormone therapy, which would be an estrogen and a progesterone. If you still have your, your uterus after your ovaries are removed or estrogen only, if your uterus has been removed and to start that after your menopause and continue at least till the age of natural menopause, which is 50. But remember both ACOG and NAM say there is no longer a time limit at which you have to stop your hormone therapy. That is extremely important for you to know. So even if you're on your hormone therapy and you happen to have your 50th birthday, if you're doing great on it and you want to stay on it, feel free to do so. So again, just to summarize, if you're 
uterus was removed at the same time or a different time, doesn't matter, as your ovaries were removed, you really only need to take estrogen. You don't need to take a progesterone because the main role of progesterone is to protect your intact uterus. Now, I did a podcast all about progesterone last week, which came out a day late. And so if you missed it, definitely go back and take a listen to it. And just to digress for a minute, I got so many, I wouldn't call them angry, but definitely opinionated emails about progesterone. And people feel so strongly about progesterone. I'm I'm very intrigued by this. I don't know why. To be totally honest, again, in, in my very educated opinion, progesterone is the hormone that may in slightly increase, but not statistically significantly, the risk for breast cancer. And I don't think it's from the estrogen because women who take estrogen only had reductions in breast cancer in the Women's Health Initiative. And progesterone, moreover, is the hormone that rises right before your period contributes to a lot of PMS, can cause bloating, weight gain, somnolence, and so if you don't need to take a progesterone, I think you're winning, but a lot of people are very convinced that they need progesterone. Now, can you still take progesterone if you don't have your uterus? Sure, you absolutely can, but I'm here to tell you that you don't have to, and you don't need to, and we've studied this for decades, and there is no risk if you don't have your uterus and you don't take a progesterone with your estrogen period. If you want to take it, take it, but it's just one less hormone that you need to take. Yeah. You don't need to balance the estrogen. The reason you hear about that a lot is probably because of when you are, when you have an intact uterus, you do need to balance your estrogen because you don't want to give yourself uterine cancer, but you're not going to give yourself uterine cancer if your uterus is in a bag somewhere. So for all of you who are very obsessed with progesterone for whatever reason, you know, that's fine. Certainly it does help a lot of women sleep. It can make them a little bit relaxed. They take it at bedtime and they do wonderful on it. But again, if you don't have to take one hormone or you don't have to take another medication or pay for it, I think it's, I think it's a go for me. But anyways, I digress. If you hadn't listened to the progesterone podcast, please do. It's the one right before this. And then on the contrary, if you had your ovaries removed, but you still have your uterus, then yes, you definitely need to take a progesterone with your estrogen. Now, the other thing that I want to touch on in the end here is about the loss of testosterone. So stay tuned for that. We're going to come to that after we talk about what about if you did the surgery for risk reduction. So I've gotten a lot of requests for women who have BRCA mutations to discuss this here on the podcast and the risks and benefits of hormone therapy. Now, I will say I certainly see a lot of patients who have a BRCA mutation and have um, risk reduction surgery where they have their ovaries removed, plus or minus some women go so far as to have um, bilateral mastectomies and have their breast tissue removed to decrease their risk of breast cancer. But the question is, should I take hormone therapy? Because most of the time they have their ovaries removed at or before age 40. And there still needs to be more research done on BRCA mutation women who take hormone therapy. But of the research that has been done, interestingly, there has not been shown to be an increased risk of breast cancer when using postmenopausal hormone therapy. So a lot of my patients do come to me and say, now that my ovaries are removed and I've reduced my risk, 
I do want to start on a very low dose of estrogen to protect my heart, my bones, my brain, and my vagina. And we do. And it really significantly improves our quality of life. And that is what research shows also. Now, there are some BRCA patients who are not going to want to take that risk, and that is a-okay. The, the, the decision is up to you. However, you are in a little bit of a conundrum because there is a lot of data to show there is an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and bone loss when you have menopause under age 45, which the majority of them do because that's the recommendation. So is there a specific way to do hormone therapy if you have a BRCA mutation? Well, there are a couple of ideas that may be, and I'm using air quotes, safer because in, in actuality, I do think all regimens of hormone therapy are safe. Just to, to say one is safer is a little misleading because it, it makes it sound that the other ones are not as safe and that's not true. But there are some things that you could consider. And the first one of those would be having an IUD and taking an estrogen either orally or transdermally. Now I have a really great YouTube video all about why to use an IUD in perimenopause and menopause. So if you haven't checked out my YouTube channel, it's health by Heather Hirsch, and I have a whole lengthy video explaining this, but to summarize in the women's health study, they found that women who took estrogen only had reductions in breast cancer. And if you had your ovaries removed, now you have removed your risk for ovarian cancer. If you still have some breast tissue, you definitely want to make sure you're getting your mammograms and your MRIs. But to extrapolate what we learned from the Women's Health Initiative, you might think, oh, well, I should take estrogen only. But if you still have your intact uterus, you do need to take a progesterone. So one way to sort of mimic estrogen only we think, is to use a progesterone-releasing intrauterine device such as the Mirena or the Kylena or the Skyla or the Lyleta. They all release progesterone. All of them do except for the Paragard, which is hormone-free, so that one won't work because it's not going to protect your intact uterus. But the thought process is because you're using a progestin that is not going systemically, such as an oral progesterone, that could be mimicking taking estrogen only and reduce your risk for breast cancer. Now, of course, you're still going to be monitored really closely by your medical oncologist and your or your breast cancer team. You're going to be getting MRIs, presumably, and mammograms. And you may have already thought about what you might do in terms of surgery to risk reduce. So that's one thing that you could do. A lot of women also will consider having their uterus removed at the time of their ovaries removed. Now, this is a big personal decision and should not be discussed without talking to your surgeon who's going to do the surgery. And I don't want to give any kind of medical advice on the podcast, but I will say that women choose all sorts of options here. And some women will say, well, if I'm taking my ovaries out, I'm not going to be using my uterus. I can take estrogen only if I have my uterus removed and I have a fibroid anyways, or et cetera, et cetera. I will just take both of them out. And some women do choose to do that. And they can then take estrogen only because they've chosen to take out their uterus to help again, more risk reduction. And also just because that makes the most sense for them medically and surgically. Another option that I used to really use a lot is Duovay. And the only reason I say used to is because Duovay is not currently available. So 
just a really interesting educational tidbit here. Duave is a, a medication that is made up of two different types of medications. It's conjugated equine estrogen and basidoxephine. Basidoxephine is a CIRM, a selective estrogen receptor agonist antagonist, and that's a mouthful, but it's a cousin of tamoxifen. And tamoxifen, many of you know, is used to reduce the risk of recurrence of breast cancer or reduce the risk of breast cancer in general. So because the basidoxifene has some same properties as the tamoxifen, it means it sort of blocks estrogen at the breast tissue, but it also has estrogen in it. That was a really nice option for some of my patients who were post-op from that risk reduction um, bilateral oophorectomy. That's the medical term for having both of your ovaries removed, but it is no longer available as of this recording, and we are in May of 2021. And there's not a good reason why, and many of us menopause experts are still asking each other if they've heard anything about Pfizer re-releasing Duave. Now we were told back in the fall, so fall of 2020, that their box was being repackaged and it's illegal to have a box with wrong information on it. And so because of that reboxing, that's why there was a shortage or there was not a supply of Duove, but not a lot of us have heard about it coming back and it's been several months. So we're growing a little weary that Duove may not come back. But again, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know. So that's what a lot of my patients will do. Now, some patients will just use CombiPatch, which is a combination of estrogen and progesterone if they still have an intact uterus, or they'll take estradiol and they'll take a progesterone 12 days of the month to reduce the amount of progesterone that they have to take. And there is no right or wrong answer. We're talking very minuscule differences here in risk. If you're going to take estrogen and or progesterone, replacement therapy after surgical menopause, typically in early menopause to risk reduce for a BRCA or other known mutation known to increase your risk for breast and ovarian cancer. Whew, that's a lot. I hope you guys are still sticking with me here. <laughs> there are some other things that you want to think about if you've had early surgical menopause, and I alluded to this before, and that is sexual health. Now, the reason this is an important topic to bring up is because when you take out your ovaries and you lose that estrogen rather sharply and quickly, you also are doing the same thing to your testosterone. Now, women have testosterone just like men. We just have less than men. And testosterone is a hormone that is important for sexual drive, right? The purpose of the sex drive is to reproduce. And so testosterone definitely has a role in our sexual function, in our libido, in our desire for having sex. And sexual health is so important to someone who is younger or it's, no, no, no. It's important to anyone at any age, I should really say. But again, you might not be expecting to go in for your removal of your ovaries to reduce your risk for, you know, ovarian cancer and then come out never wanting to have sex again. Someone may have not ever told you that, and it could be a real shock to the system. So for some women who do experience drops in libido after their ovaries, ovaries have been removed, we could definitely consider replacing testosterone. Now I have lots of information on replacing testosterone. Happy to do a whole podcast on it. Since I did a whole podcast on progesterone, we could certainly do a whole podcast here on testosterone. Certainly I've talked about why you should not use to 
testosterone pellets. And I have many videos on this on my YouTube channel about when and how to use testosterone, but it is a consideration because really of the big bucket of sexual health. So for my women who've had early surgical menopause, I always want to ask and be considerate of any changes they've noticed or issues arising in sexual health. The other things, again, I mentioned that I want to think about is their quality of life, their heart health. And to monitor that, I'm going to really watch closely their blood pressure, their A1C levels or their risk for diabetes and their cholesterol. And I'm also thinking about their brain health. Are they having any cognitive changes, any brain fog, any changes with memory or recall? That's really important postmenopausally. And I'm also thinking about their weight. Weight is another thing that can definitely shift and change after menopause and specifically after surgical menopause. Many of you might be like on the edge of your chairs, like, please talk about this more. I have a wonderful podcast I did with my friend. Kim Schlag. It's several episodes back, but it's all about metabolism and weight at menopause and at midlife. And Kim Schlag also has a fantastic new course. So you can check out Kim on Instagram. I will link her at the bottom of this because she's a great resource for more information on that. But it is a topic we could do a whole podcast on again. But yes, those are the things that I want to be on the lookout for, for anyone who's undergoing early surgical menopause who may or may not choose to take hormone therapy. Either way, I'm still going to think about those things, but particularly if you're not going to take hormone therapy, because we do know there's an increased risk for these things with an early surgical menopause. Wow. That was a ton of information. I can't tell you guys how important it is to, for me to be able to have an outlet to relay this information to you. Please note that it took me years upon years upon years of studying this and saying this over and over again to be able to say this within 30 minutes, but there's a lot to unpack here. If you have more questions on any of this, again, please listen to this whole episode again. You can check out my YouTube channel. I have tons of videos there. And if you want to take a deep dive, as you all probably know, I do have a course, The Complete Guide to Menopause, which you can definitely check out on my website, heatherhirschmd.com. I've also been turning some of these podcast episodes into blog posts. So I'm really excited to be able to reach more people with this podcast through the blog. Thank you guys so much for your support. Oh my gosh, it means the world to me. And for all the women, who are, you know, searching for answers on all things menopause and perimenopause, the algorithm of iTunes and Spotify is telling other women that this podcast is a great source of evidence-based, scientifically backed information. So I'm so excited that you have gotten your advice from me because there is just an insane amount of outlets where you can get advice from, and they're just not all based in science. And that's a problem. That's a big problem. Anyways, I could do a whole nother podcast on that. Thank you guys again so much for listening. I'll see you again next week for a brand new episode. Bye everyone.